Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right. Absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 779th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today's podcast is a replay of our October 2023 Seed Chat with Bill McDorman. All about saving seeds. Enjoy. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson from Urban Farm U. I'm here with Bill McDorman. Hello, Bill. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here. I'm going to read what we're up to tonight, and then I'll let you tell everybody where you're at. So our mantra in seed school is cool, dark, and dry when storing your seeds. Getting the storing part, however, can be a challenge. Making sure you harvest your crops at the optimal times with the right amount of dry down is critical. Not too difficult to task when you learn a few tricks. Once you do, you will never forget because the plants will remind you. This is one of the more rewarding parts of growing plants for seeds because the bounty on seeds is mind-blowing. Welcome, Bill. So, Tell everybody that is on the live event, they can see your background. That is actually, my background is a photograph. Your background is for real. I can see the trees moving. Where are you at? Right. I'm on Canyones Creek outside Abiquiu, New Mexico. And so if I looked north down the canyon and out and across the reservoir, I could see Ghost Ranch, a very famous location in New Mexico, if you want an idea of the, where I am. I'm about an hour and 15 minutes from Santa Fe. Oh, oh wow. Nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. All right, cool. Sacred, and what are you doing there? Over the weekend, I was at a gathering of the 13 sacred grandmothers. They oh, come from all nice. over the place. And they invited me into their circle to talk about the sacredness of seeds. They, they see how important that is. Wow. And so it was just lovely, fulfilling, incredible event where a lot of us were crying and hugging and it was just beautiful. Somehow a spirit was opened up among the group of people there. And we even had a woman say she had a vision that the 238 generations of mostly women seed keepers that gave us corn as a gift uh -huh. as modern people, they were as spirits in the room. 
thanking us for opening up this space around corn again and, and seed saving. And so it was wonderful. Did you see the article this week on, in The Guardian about seed growers having problems? No, I didn't see. I try to keep up, but I've been offline on and off and doing. Yeah, yeah I haven't I'll read the full. I haven't read the full article yet, but they're talking about how the seed growers out there, the people that are growing the seeds for the farmers are running into environmental issues that's making it harder for them to do what they do. I know that grass seed growers have been doing that because they burn their fields every year. That's what stimulates the growth. So the grass will go to seed and it creates huge plumes of dark smoke and that's carbon atmosphere. So yeah, they're going to have huge problems. Yeah. Get rid of those lawns. All right. Let's jump in. Cool. Your video is holding out real good. We can hear you. Cool, dark, and dry. And then storing them. Why don't we start with cool, dark, and dry? What's that mean? So let, let me just preface a little bit by saying that this part of seed saving, there's a lot of different parts. There's a science, the biology behind it, learning the parts of the flowers and the, the plants and learning what plant family that you have so that you know what to do with your seeds, both in planting it and growing it and in saving the seeds. There's the genetics part, if you want to dive in and understand what's happening with sexual reproduction and how you can reach goals in your garden or explain mind-blowing discoveries. It's like we have a, we have, I discovered an ear of corn that half of it is red and speckled and the other half is perfectly yellow. And it's a straight line right down the edge of the cob. And it's like, how do you explain that genetically? Because each kernel has a different father. So how did all the fathers line up perfectly in a straight line? So genetics can help you there. Was that multiple heads of uh, ears of corn or is just one? Well, just one ear of corn Mm -hmm. was that way. And of all the parts of seed saving, actually harvesting and storing is where the craft comes in. Mm, mm -hmm. All right. That's where you have to do it and you have to practice. There are books out there like Seed to Seed Mm -hmm. by Susan Ashworth. And then it's updated version called The Seed Garden that have more or less coalesced from thousands of gardeners and seed savers, their tricks, the what to do's and what not to do's that they've learned. But Mm -hmm. even with that, to get you started, you won't be very good at this until you do it and practice it. So I just want to make that upfront. So in one sense, it's intimidating. You can't just learn it all on the internet and call yourself an expert. But on the other side, it's most rewarding. It really is because once you get rolling in it, it's really engaging and you will learn how to do it yourself with your seeds in your place with the equipment you have. Mm -hmm. So I'm just inviting everybody. That's the most important thing I'll say tonight. I want to invite everybody in to this craft, this 10,000-year-old craft and ritual, and get going and see what you can discover and what you can add to the whole body of knowledge. And because you can, everybody can probably. So the cool, dark, and dry, that actually pertains to the storage of seeds. People, that's the most asked question we get in our Mm -hmm. seed schools is really how do you store them? I want to keep them. And cool is the temperature at which you should keep them. And there's all sorts of talk about freezing them. The National Seed Storage Lab has them in liquid nitrogen now at 400 degrees below zero. 
around this belief that the colder you get them, the longer they'll last. But we don't, when I was there touring at the lab, I asked them, how long will they last with liquid nitrogen? And they said, oh, we don't know. We only started this 30 years ago. <laughs> and I said, I said, we've got bean seeds that lasted 600 years in a clay pot right. in the Southwest in Akiva. So will they last 600 years? And they go, we have no idea. It'll take electricity to keep the nitrogen in a, in a thing and keep it monitored. But that's the idea of where we're going. And so none of that's really necessary. And we learned that from Dr. Bruce Bugby, who got the contract. And there's a lot of you have heard me say this. He got a contract from NASA to study taking seeds to Mars. The first human mission to Mars will um, have to grow food while they're there. They're going to have to wait 400 days before the planets realign and they can come home. So we're talking greenhouses and growing. There have been movies about this, but this is no fiction. So how do you store seeds on a trip to Mars? That was the question. It was a grant and a, a Utah State University professor mm -hmm. did all the testing. What he discovered is that seeds start to die off more quickly when you get them above 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was a, a real surprise to a lot. It wasn't a surprise, but to have it, that kind of definition was great. And it explained a lot of stuff. So you don't have to put your seeds in the refrigerator necessarily. You don't have to put them in the freezer. Many of us do because I live in Arizona and it gets up to 100 in the day. And for a long time, I didn't have air conditioning. It was fine when I was around, but when I wasn't, who knew? We just pay attention to that. And I've had tomato seeds last 10 years and germinate at 90%, just stored in 80 or below temperatures. Wow. All right. Dark. Sunlight hurts them, can break them down. Bright lights can. So keeping them dark seems to make all seeds last longer. Mm -hmm. Easy. All right. And then dry. That means low humidity. How low? We don't know. There have been a lot of studies about that. I can tell you that the refrigeration and, and freezing facilities we had that were state-of-the-art at Native Seed Search, mm -hmm. they tried to hit 24% humidity. Lower than that, and even at that, sometimes you have problems if it's too cold because it freeze dries them. So it becomes a factor in it. So we've got to be careful. So a reasonable, cool, dark, and dry. And what that means for me is don't bag your seeds up, put them in plastic or glass on a rainy day. Or if you're in the southeast or in a higher humidity climate, do it on the driest day at the driest part of the day you can. And most of us will be okay if we do that. So there's your cool, dark, and dry. Cool. Dark and dry. <laughs> if you yeah. are going to store them in the freezer, right. a couple of caveats here. Right. Put them in a jar because plastic can let water in. And the other thing you want to make sure of is that you pull them out of the freezer, you let them come to room temperature, and then open the jar, exactly. right? Yeah, okay, cool. And that's a pretty practical reason. There's moisture in all air. Yep. It'll go into your jar and condense the inside and you'll have drops of water in your jar. That's not cool, dark and dry. <laughs> so let's talk about dry down because that was a new term that got introduced to me in the, in the description tonight. 
you want your seeds dry before you store them. You bag things up and there's moisture, too much moisture in the seeds and it could either mold or they could start to germinate. There's all sorts of things. And for sure, in my experience, they don't last as long. So you want your seeds dry. And where, so in most places, as I said, on dry days where most of us live, the air humidity will suck the, mo- the rest of the moisture out of the seeds and mm-hmm. you'll be okay. And so that's just a general rule of thumb. I think that seeds overall have the, or especially all of our food crops and our vegetable crops, if you think about it, at one time were wild plants. They were wild seeds. And the only reason they're here is because we engaged in this dance with them, where we saved the ones that had more sugar, that were bigger or whatever, and then we planted them. And many of them, like corn, that uh, can't depend without us. If you just leave corn in a field by itself, it may reseed and come up one year, but it, for most of us, it's, it would never last anymore. It needs us. Mm-hmm. And through that whole system of thousands of years of bringing these crops to us, we stored them through the winters, through the, the off seasons or whatever. And almost all of that, from what I can tell, was done in the earth or in clay, mm. especially in clay, all mm-hmm. over the world, pottery. That's one of the hallmarks of us becoming human is that we started making clay pots. And so I think clay's perfect because if, especially if it's unfired, if it's not shiny, it absorbs moisture. So you can put your seeds in there, even if they're a little bit high humidity, the clay itself will finish drying them out and keep them in exactly the right humidity. Nice. And so just make sure your seeds dry. That's dry down. Now, there are, there's a big controversy in Montana with wheat because they figured out they could get seeds to dry out, the plants and the seeds to dry out and be ready for harvest maybe 13 days, two weeks, three weeks earlier if they sprayed Roundup on it. So Montana farmers, they would see a rainstorm coming in the news next week and they only had a certain amount of time to harvest. They would spray their crops to dry them down quickly and then they would harvest and save their crops. But it's wow. getting controversial now because there's so much Roundup being sprayed that it's in the rain. So oops, good idea. Maybe small scale didn't hurt very much, but now we got a big problem. So chemical dry down is probably not a good idea. Right. And some of these tricks for harvesting and storing seeds. Let's talk about threshing is the word we use to separate the seed from the plant material that it comes in. And it's really important to thresh. So if you think about what a combine is, say, let's talk about grain and and it's all harvested with what we call a combine. What's a combine? A combine is a combination of something that cuts the grain in the field Mm -hmm. and threshes it, shakes the seeds out of seed heads. And so uh, there are all sorts of tricks for doing that on a small, most of us don't have machinery. So there's all sorts of tricks for doing that as home scale or even small market farm seed saver. And so that's where talking to the people that have done it, talking, there are seed conferences, getting in touch, those books, that's where they focus a lot of their attention. Mm-hmm. I, a story, I somebody figured out how to save this certain heirloom bean. It had a really tough pod to break open and get the seeds out. And it would cut your hands. They're big beans. And it would just, if you tried to rip them up with your, or stomp on them or whatever, it was just really difficult. 
And somebody figured out that if they put pounds of them in a burlap bag and put it out on their lawn and ran over it with their truck a couple of times. Oh my gosh. Perfect. They could just dump the beans out and the shells, winnow the shells away. And those are the, that's what I'm talking about. These kinds of stories is like from baseball bats to whatever hand tools or whatever that you've learned. I guess my contribution to the body of literature, if I was ever asked, would be, especially for wild seeds and seeds in my own garden, is I think I, I, and it was out of necessity, and I think all of this stuff is, I don't have enough time to spend on this stuff, and I need right. relatively clean seed, is that I learned to have big paper bags, take them out into the garden or the forest, wherever it was, and I would grab the plants and carefully tip over and pour clean seed out into my bag. Oh, interesting. And I learned that if I went out at the right time, I could get, there's columbine for wild seeds is one of the things I used to use. And then I could do that with the cabbage family plant where I could, you could do it with even the beet family and Swiss chard there. You're not pouring them actually, but I'm just lightly shaking the seed heads when they're ready into a bag and I get almost perfectly clean seed. And so that's what we're talking about, the kinds of tricks. And I'd be happy to answer specific questions if people have them about different crops. And I'll just tell you what we tried and learned to do. And so before I do that, just let me say one thing. If you're a home gardener, especially, or your own market farmer, you give up. You don't have to clean it, really. You only clean as much as you have to make it easy for you to save what you need to save and replant it the next year. Got and so it. there's a lot of crops. I didn't even, I don't even clean it. Things like lettuce. Right. It comes with little parachutes. And that's another one you can bend over and shake into a bag. Yeah. Well, you've mentioned several like Swiss chard and beets and lettuce that there's, you just harvest them off the stalk and they are the seed. Carrots are the same way. You, you get these flowers, the umbels on the carrots and they are the seed and you grab what you right. yeah go ahead if you look at carrot seeds carefully though they look like little bugs with yep. about eight legs on them yep and those are there for a reason they'll grab onto fur and pants and they get themselves transported in all sorts of places also it just helps them aerate when they land on the ground i don't know they've evolved and that's their deals when you buy carrot seed in a packet all those little spines on the carrot seed have been taken off and there's ways that there's folk ways to do that. You can put them in a can or a bucket with marbles or small rocks and stir it up and they'll roll around and that will gently break the things off. Again, there's lots of different ways of doing it. I just left them on and planted again. Try not to do it with your hands like this. It's They're hard enough to cut your hands. Yeah. Maybe with glove. So then, so there's the seeds that are just the seeds like we just talked about. And then there's the right. seeds that are in husks, so beans and peas, and those are pretty straightforward. Right. What I used to do with the cow peas at the urban farm is I just let them dry on the vine and just grab them and stick them in a bag. And then while I'm watching a movie or a show, I just unhusk them and pull the husks out and that does 98% of the work. Yeah, let them dry as much as you can on the vine where they are. Yep. If you're living in a place where the winter comes way too early and you think you're going to lose them and they're not quite dry, pull the whole vines and 
put all of them into your garage or your cellar or something and let them mm -hmm. hang upside down and finish drying. That so, works. So here's one for you, Bill. Um, it is getting freezing here. Like we've already had a frost and our tomatoes are dying back. And I've got some tomato plants with green tomatoes. Right. Do I harvest the green tomatoes and do they ripen? Well, look carefully on them. If you get really dark green splotches uh -huh. on them, that those parts may have frozen. It's okay. really hard to keep tomatoes if the tomato itself is frozen. But I, numerous times I've had a, a light frost. The vines all go down. Yeah. But the tomatoes are okay. So if that's the case, pull what's left of those vines and hang them if you can, if you've got room. If not, carefully pick the green tomatoes, dry them off with a soft cloth to make sure they're really clean and dry, and then put them in a living space, 70 degrees in your living room or whatever. I put mine, I had a warehouse or a garage floor or something. Put them in there and line them up and don't let them touch though. Okay. You want each one to be separate. And the reason is some of them usually before they're totally ripe will mold. Mm. And if you've got them all touching and a little bit of mold gets on one, it'll run through all of them. Yeah. But it'll only stay on one tomato if they're all by themselves. And I have had September harvests of green tomatoes last till Christmas in my warehouse, slowly each one on its own time starting to turn red. And I've learned that you don't have to let them actually even turn bright red. And sometimes they don't. But if you let them sit for a month or two inside, if they're yeah. in a, a good enough environment, and cut one open, it'll be red on the inside. It was such a shock. I go, oh, my God, all these tomatoes are good. Oh. And you can especially then save seeds from all of those. Yeah. They work. And I've done that over and over again in my seed business. So let's talk about that. That's called wet processing. What different vegetables do you wet process and what is wet processing? The seed harvesters will put seeds into two categories, the dry seeds and the wet. And the dry ones we've been talking about, you just shake them into bags, you break open the holes, you do whatever you need to do. The wet ones are from crops like tomatoes and melons and some squash and cucumbers. Those are primarily the ones. Eggplant is put into that category sometimes, even peppers. And so what you do with those instead is get the seeds out with the juice that comes with them. And if, it's, if there's no juice, say with squash or you're not enough with your eggplant that you blended up or whatever, put some liquid in there and let them set for three days at least in a warm place, 70 to 80 degrees. Mm -hmm. And so people say, when do you know you're done? And you'll know when a white fungus forms on the top. That's a bread mold. And that's one of the advantages of wet seed processing is that mold produces antibiotics that will help treat your seeds for many known seed-borne diseases. So it's just a natural process. Yeah. So tomatoes, if you're not there to pick them, they fall on the ground, they get rotten. That, that jelly finally breaks down, and that's mm -hmm. what the three-day fermentation in a jar does. And once they're free of the little jelly, the jelly that's around them, they can germinate. But there's all sorts of other things that could happen, but that mold has protected them from other diseases. So it's just a natural process. So yeah, squeeze out your, cut your tomatoes at an equator, squeeze all the jelly and the seeds out into a jar, 
do enough that you can get a half a jar if you can. If not, pour a little water in there. Let it sit for three days. All the good seeds fall to the bottom. They're heavier. Light yep. seeds and aren't as good and all the other stuff floats to the top. Then fill your jar completely full of water. And then all the real good seeds will fall to the bottom. Pour the other stuff out. Fill the jar up with water again. Pour it out. Fill the jar up with water again. Pour it out. Make sure you don't pour your seeds out each time. Just pour right up to where your seeds are. Then pour that through a strainer and put that on a coffee filter or newspaper or something and let them dry and you've got your seeds. So it's a pretty simple process. And again, when I went to the largest cucumber and melon seed producer in the United States, and I asked them about, because a lot of people, you don't have to do this. You can just take tomato seeds out and put them on a newspaper and dry them and they'll work. But you don't get this added advantage of them being totally clean and being disease resistant. And so I asked that head breeder at Holler and Company if what they were doing. I thought it'd be interesting. They're industrial scale. And especially for watermelons and cucumbers. And he said, well, for a long time, we didn't, but we've gone back to wet seed processing. And he said, if you look at the costs, we made it so the costs are about the same, going dry or wet. He said, we do it because of the disease resistance. Donald has a, a very uh, interesting question. Donald says, what do you do with all of the extra seeds? I have too many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seed see, exchange. You should see my seed collection. I have four or five gallon pails of seeds that I keep sealed up in a, in a closet and we keep adding to them. Yeah, we can do a seed library. Yeah, start your own uh, small internet seed company. <laughs> if what you got's really good and you're proud of it. I mean, there are 300 probably new small seed companies. The internet makes it cost effective. Yeah. You don't have any real marketing costs. You could do it on your Instagram page and set up a payment thing. And maybe that if you need to do that, my favorite is to give them away. And yeah. a seed exchange is a great place to do that. And seed libraries are more durable because people could come all year long and get them. Yeah. But those are great things. But I think the real answer to the question is, and this is what I'm, I'll just tell you what I'm doing. I've got 40 years worth of seeds that have been stored relatively well, cool, cool dark, and dry. Probably yeah. the germs gone down on the oldest ones, but I'll bet there's good seed in almost everything I've got yeah. that hasn't been bug infested. I had a few of those. So what am I doing? I'm doing with Joseph, and I'm almost 70 years old. I only have maybe six or eight good garden seasons left. If I look at my father and others that were really active, I know there are gardeners that go to their 90s and bless us. Maybe the, the seed angels will, will watch over me and I'll be able to do that. But it's time to realize that I can't afford to give up the freedom it affords me to have a whole room full of seeds. I mean, I keep having to move them around and worrying about them right? or whatever. So what do you do? So I'm a land race gardener now in the Joseph Lofthouse sense. So I'm systematically going through them and picking out the best, a handful of the best of everything I've got and grexing them. So all my dry beans, all my green beans, all my pole beans, are going into one pile. All my bush green beans are going into one. All my maxima squash, all my tomatoes, all my peppers, all of them are going into, and I'm just pulling out things, and then I'm mixing it up, and I've got all the genetics that everybody 
who has ever given me something from Mongolia to Siberia on down is all in there. I haven't destroyed or given away anything. And then I'm planting those out systematically in my yard and saving from what works for me. And the rest of that I'm giving away. So I'm going from this much seed down to a manageable amount again that I can actually deal with in my lifetime. Wow. Thank you, Joseph. I feel better. <laughs> so you brought up a word called Grex, G-R-E-X. Say a little bit about that for those people that don't really know what it means. Earlier today, we were talking about origin stories. So let me give you the origin of where I learned about it was Dr. Alan Capular. Uh, those who knew him personally call him Mushroom. And he started a seed company years and years ago. He's a nuclear physicist, this brilliant mind. And he gave up that whole field when he figured out they were building nuclear missile warheads out of his knowledge. And he went through a crisis, moved back to Oregon, and started growing and saving and seeds and breeding. And late in life, he stumbled or he just designed it. But he started mixing three or more different vegetables together, just randomly, and letting them cross-pollinate. And then saving the seeds from that and seeing what happened. Uh -huh. So the one I saw were onions. He, I saw a little video one time. So there was a hybrid onion. Oh, you can't save seeds from hybrids. Oh, yes, you can. And he mixed it in with one an old heirloom that he really liked. And then he had one other one he threw in. And he just let them cross. And he called that a grex, a small intentional cross of seeds was a grex to him. It was a, a remixing. And so in loving honor to one of our great teachers, that's what uh, many of us are calling it now. Got it. And one of the things you did for me is you sent me, I have an area down the hill from me that has been solarized all summer. And you had brought me a Grex of 80 different varieties of upland rice. And so your instructions to me were plant it out, see what does best save the seeds from what does best and replant them. That's it. All right. I would argue that's all we have time for now. Yeah. After the gobsmackingly bananas increase in global temperatures in September, that was a headline in the Guardian this past 10 days or so. Gobsmackingly wow. bananas. Wow. And it's going to start affecting our industrial food system more and more. And so finding out what works where you are quickly. And Greg, Upland Rice, you're in the country. It was the United States' first commercial crop. This is what Thomas Jefferson smuggled out of Italy and France so that wow. we could have a commercial crop, right? This is rice you can grow in regular fields. You don't need patties. Yeah. So we're coming back around 200 and whatever, 60 years later, and we need to figure out what crops grow in our area. You're set up for it. But how do you find out of the th hundreds that are available, which ones work? You don't have time to grow each one out individually yeah. and keep notes about which ones work. So just mix them all together and let the whole field tell you. All you have to do is observe and save. Wow. We can do this. We can do this yeah. with every crop. You can do it with all the seeds you've ever saved in your own back. There's no reason to be overburdened with what you have. Combine what you've got, plant it out immediately, and give the rest of it away. Or eat it for that matter.
So we Breed. got a couple, yeah, yeah, we oh, got yeah, a couple, we yeah, exactly. Got a couple of questions here. Dennis, right. Rocky Point Dennis wants to know how to remove finite seeds that are on wet surfaces like strawberries. Can you grow strawberries from seed? Oh, yeah. You have to be careful because many of them have been hybridized. In other words, each one of those, a strawberry uh, flower produces tons of uh, anthers, yeah. um, uh, stamens with anthers with pollen on them. And then the receptacles can take pollen from each different, they're like apples. You can, they're in the rose family, like they are. Each one of those little seeds on the outside of a strawberry can be a completely different variety. So once you start growing strawberries from seed, and there's some things that are better and easier than others. I know there's thriving alpine strawberry seed business in Europe. And you can grow those out and be relatively assured you're going to get the same thing. But to get a variety of strawberry, you're rolling about 100 dice, and they all have to come up sixes if you want to get the same strawberry out of one of the seeds on the end as the strawberry you got, okay? So just be aware of that. But what you do is just get super ripe strawberries and toss them in a blender. And sometimes what I'll do is put tape over the front edge of the blender because you don't want it to cut the strawberry. You just want to mash them up. And if you'll just lightly hit the thing and blend it into a liquid mix and pour that into your jar. Yep. And if you do put a little bit extra liquid in it and then you're doing wet processing, just like tomatoes. There you go. Just set it aside for three days. Let it ferment. Good seeds will fall to the bottom. All the bad ones and the other stuff will float to the top. You can water winnow it. And, and then pour that through a really fine strainer, put that on a piece of paper, let them dry out, and you can have really clean strawberry seed. This goes for raspberries. There's a number of things. Awesome. All right. All right. There you go, Dennis. So Kath says, this will be our last question, and then we're going to wrap. Kath says, I'm creating a seed library for my school. Should the seeds be distributed in paper envelopes? Or are small plastic baggies okay? Whatever you want to use. Hopefully you won't have them long enough. I prefer paper. I don't know where you are. If you're in Miami, Florida, you might think about plastic. But most of us live in places where paper and the, the humidity and the air are no problem. I hope you found one of the old card catalogs. They have in every library where you used to have the cards to look up the books. Because a seed packet turned sideways fits in those perfectly. And you can get coin envelopes or something else. And so, yeah, that's not going to matter as much. All right. If you put them in the plastic, you want to make sure they're dry as all before you put them in there. In paper, you may have, you know, some leeway. It may dry out anyway afterwards. Cool. Bless you. And if you need help and have further questions, go to seedlibraries.net. There's 600 seed libraries on there and you can ask questions and everybody will help you. Perfect. So I just want to, I have something to share. We, you and me, you did the teaching. I did the recording about a decade ago, put together Seed School Online. And we've been doing seed events and seed webinars and in an attempt to get people to learn how to save their seeds and the price of the course in the past has been $197 and it's worth 10 times that it's amazing but one of the things that you 
prompted me to do recently was to drop the price. And this is like a gobsmack wow price drop. We put it at $29. That was at your prompting. And people have been eating it up, so to speak. It's Tell us a little bit about Seed School Online. The very first Seed School we did was $1,100 it cost. Yep, I remember that. For eight days or nine days or something. And, and I've done 40 Seed Schools now, probably. For years, it was a week long or five day. We got it down to five days. And then I went to uh, the Fairview Gardens in California and I walk in, I'm supposed to give a presentation. They didn't even tell me what it was. And there was a big sign up that said seed school in a day. <laughs> and I go, what is seed school in a day? I've never heard that. They said, oh, that's what you're doing tomorrow. And it's, I'm going, oh, but we did it. We pulled it off. We, it's a good exercise. What is most important to, for you to pull out to get the to get the essentials out. So we did that and I've done a lot of those. And then we had this idea to do a seed school online. And so we took the best of all those five-day seed schools down into one-day seed schools and took it and put it into eight modules, is it? Yeah, yep. And and recorded it. And it was really a special time. I tell people, I saw, I listened to it the other not too long ago, we wanted to make sure that it wasn't outdated or, and especially around language and diversity and being equitable to people and acknowledging things right. Because it was made 10 years ago. We were yeah. in a little bit different era and it holds up incredibly well. Yeah. But the thought that struck me was that, much to my dismay in some ways, is that I'll never be able to do that again. My mind was, it was all loaded and I was on it. This is like a jazz band that came together for a little while and that, and people go, Oh, that night is when all of everything was on. That was the night you wanted to see the dead or Miles Davis or whatever, right? That seed school online is by far the best I've ever done as far as anything recorded. It just is. And all the essentials are in there and it's invaluable. And I'm just, I was looking at what other price points were for other courses. And frankly, we don't have time. We need hundreds, if not millions of people up and running doing this. I've always believed that. And so maybe this can be a tool to help with that. Yeah. So tell your friends, if you don't need to or whatever, but that resource is out. You can get from zero to 60. We've had people go through our seed schools that didn't even know how to garden, that now own seed companies. Yep. Okay. Their own small seed companies. And so that's, it's not that complicated. Out of the whole universe of things to tell people, to get them up and running, what is it? That's what we learned over 40 seed schools over 12 or 14 years. And so that's what's in there. It's really fun. It's really exciting to think that it's there. And thank you, Greg, for keeping the keeper of it and making it available. So $29, go to seedschoolonline.com. It's that simple, seedschoolonline.com. And and for the Great American Seed Up, this is our ninth annual Great American Seed Up event. And so if you're in the Phoenix metropolitan area, you don't want to miss it. Check it's, out- not this, it's not this coming weekend. It's the one after that. Correct? Exactly. The 27th and 28th of October, okay, 2023. Yeah. Okay. Check out greatamericanseedup.org. 
And we've basically the premise is, is that we've created a space where you package your own seeds and the seed price is extraordinary. The seed price well, is. You miss 90% of the cost, right? Yeah. You're just yeah. going direct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you want to do your own Great American Seed Up, we have a, a facility for you to be able to do that too, a way to do that. It's called our Seed Up in a Box. And you can find out about both of those at greatamericanseedup.org. All right, Bill, safe travels. Yes, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, everybody, for showing up tonight. All right, thanks, everybody. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right. Absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.